0: This uh, today is the end of the book of Philippians. We, we made it. This is our 15th week uh, of mining the riches of this letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Uh, a series that we began way back in the month of, of January, if you can believe it. This series has been, been a great series for me to study. And to, uh, to dive into, I pray that it's been challenging and encouraging for you. It's reminded us of who we are, saints and citizens, lights in the world, servants of the Most High God. It's reminded us of who Jesus is, the one that we've come to serve, that great hymn of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, the one who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross and is now exalted at God's right hand it's a book that's remind us of what we're called to be a people of unity a people called to serve as one a people of peace a people of joy And all of those familiar passages, all of those familiar phrases in the book of Philippians are are ringing in our ears, right? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do nothing from selfish rivalry or ambition. Whatever gain I counted as loss compared with knowing Jesus, I press on to make it my own because He has made me His own. Rejoice in the Lord. Always, I'll say it again, rejoice, whatever is true, honorable, and just, think on those things. Well, that's all by way of review. Now, as we come to the end of this letter, Paul essentially comes full circle, ending his letter, this correspondence to this church, much in the same way that he began the letter by saying, thank you. If you flip back in your Bibles to the very beginning of the letter, verse 3 of chapter 1, we read this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul, as we've talked about multiple times, Paul loved this church, Paul planted this Church And this church had proven itself to be a blessing to Paul and to his ministry, even while he sits in a prison in Rome as he writes. And so as he ends the letter, after admonishing them, encouraging them as a pastor and true shepherd should, he wants to thank them again, commending them for their generous investment in his ministry And really, ultimately, their investment in the gospel itself. And I think as he does this, he encourages us, the church, here in Edmonds, Washington in 2022, but really the church at all times and in all places to reflect the kind of priorities that we see exhibited by our brothers and sisters here in Philippi, half a world away, And thousands of years ago. I'm about to read the passage you're going to read. I'm actually going to start at verse 14, not at verse 10. I'm going to skip verses 10 through 13. And the keen eye might notice that that's not a passage that we covered last week. We ended last week with verse 9 not that verses 10 through 13 about contentment are unimportant or not relevant. They actually are. But the reason I'm not going to preach on that passage is because we've actually just recently preached. I recently preached on that passage, and I hope you recently listened. It was the fall of 2020. Uh, I went back on YouTube to verify the date. It was September 20th of 2020, and I was standing here in an empty room. Actually, Dave was here with me, and I think Leandra was here, and that was pretty much it. And I was staring into a camera preaching on that passage. And so if you're uh, a person who kind of wants that consistency and that jumping of the passage is going to bug you, well then go back and listen to uh, that sermon which is called The Power to Delight preached on September 20th of 2020, it's on YouTube, it's on our website, but that's why we're skipping uh, that group of verses and jumping right to verse 14 and then reading on through the end of the letter. So, here we go, wrapping up the book of Philippians, as is our custom, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 23. Paul says this in closing, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. One simple takeaway I'd like us to see this morning to meditate on for these next few moments as we finish this study. Because it's one takeaway, I had to make it a long one. So here it is. The extravagant grace of God calls us to generous gospel giving. The extravagant grace of God calls us to generous gospel giving. Yes, this is a passage about giving. It's about one of the things that we find ourselves most wound up about a lot of the time, and that is our money. This passage isn't only about that, but it's largely about that. It's primarily about that. And this sermon isn't all there is to say on our money or on giving, but it's Something to be said, something that God wants us to hear. And so I want to begin this morning by simply reminding us of the fact that the way we view our money, the way we handle our money, is a big deal. And when I say it's a big deal, I say that because it's a reflection, it's a revealer of what's going on in our hearts. Ultimately, handling of our money is a spiritual matter. Jesus, when He was on earth, warned His followers of of the competing, idolatrous place that our money can insist upon in our lives. You've heard these words before. In Luke 16, we read, "...no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money." And Jesus preached in His sermon on the mount in Matthew 6, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That, brothers and sisters, that kind of treasure keeping is what is happening, has happened in the first century church of Philippi. They have generously given to the Gospel through their support of the Apostle Paul and his ministry. And it began on day one of his ministry. If we were to follow Paul's journey in the ancient world, a well-documented journey, after planning the church in Philippi, Paul headed west to the next major city in Macedonia. That city was Thessalonica. He brings it up here in his final remarks. And he says even in Thessalonica right after he left the Philippians were trying to figure out how they could continue to be involved in his work in this work of sharing the extravagant grace of God to the ancient world. You see as Paul traveled around in the first century he was dependent upon two things tents and ties essentially. Tents, because he was a tent maker, so he could get some sort of an income from that. But the more that he was forced to make tents, the less he could focus on preaching the gospel and teaching in the synagogue and engaging in the courtyard. And so, much like Jesus himself, Paul asked for and depended upon the generosity of those who believed in what he was doing and wanted to share the gospel. Right, We're familiar with this. Paul was a missionary. And sure, Paul actually had a sending church. It wasn't Philippi, it was Antioch. But we don't hear anything about Antioch. All we hear about is Philippi that quickly established itself as a vital and valued congregation. And so Paul here, as he did when he opened up this letter, he stops to thank them, and he encourages them as he does so, for two things, their partnership and their worship, their partnership and their worship. Paul calls their giving here and earlier in, their, in this letter, a, a partnership, a sharing of his work, even of his trouble. Remember, it's that familiar Greek word that that many of you know and have heard. That that word koinonia. We talked about it back in chapter 1 where we divided this partnership into three things. We said it was a shared striving. It was a shared suffering. It was a shared mission. The Philippians, through their consistent gifts, through their encouragement, through their prayers... Through their sticking with him, even as he was imprisoned, and most recently through the arrival of one of their members, Epaphroditus, who we talked about, Paul had been well supported, well supplied, he says. Essentially, what he says in our passage here is, I've been paid in full, I've received full payment. A.W. Tozer says this about the giving of the church. He says, "...as base a thing as money often is, it yet can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost souls. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. And yet this thanks that Paul gives, he makes clear in verse 17, it's not some setup for him asking for more money. He's not priming the pump to ask for more support. His his hope is that actually their generosity, that they would see the fruit of it. That's why in verse 15, he calls this partnership a giving and receiving. They give for the work of the gospel, not only laying up treasures in heaven as a result, but also receiving the joy of lives impacted for the gospel. Paul gives indication here in verse 22 that the gospel has infiltrated the very household of Caesar. Likely because of Paul's influence. The servants and those who have attended to him have come to Christ. And so Paul says, thank you for your partnership for this fruit. And this is what the church is to be about. And that leads us to Paul's other emphasis in this passage. Not simply that we ought to be generous for the success of others, for the joy that that produces in our own hearts, but also, generous giving is worship. It's worship. Paul reminds the Philippian church not simply of the pragmatism of what they have given to him in effecting his ministry, in extending the Gospel even to the household of Caesar, but of the spiritual value of those gifts as well. Last Sunday afternoon, my family and I were invited over to one of your houses for lunch. And I didn't know what was on the menu beforehand, but when I walked into the kitchen, I knew. I knew because my nose told me. This couple had fixed for us a dish that I hadn't had in months, and whether they thought this or not... It's one that I consider to be for special occasions. Barbecue ribs. And boy, when that aroma came into my nose, what a sweet, smoky smell. And what a wonderful gift. You see here, Paul in this passage bringing in this rich Old Testament language, he describes the gifts... The very ordinary gifts of money, of Roman coin that they gave him through Epaphroditus as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, of course, and our kids know this especially, God does not have a nose like we do. Right? Because the catechism says God is a spirit and does not have a body like men. Yet this is the image that the Scriptures give of the Lord gaining pleasure and delight. Delighting in the scent of His people's intentional and heartfelt worship through the giving of Roman coin. We read of it, after the dramatic story of Noah in Genesis 8, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and he took every clean animal and every, some of every clean bird and he offered burnt offerings on the Lord. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. This pleasing aroma is mentioned again and again as God's people walk in obedience to the covenant. And as they recognize through these thank offerings that they give to the Lord that smelled in and of themselves who God is and what He has done. Now, of course, we sit here as did the Philippians. Not with the scent of barbecue ribs or barbecue lamb or any other thank offering. No, we sit here in the wake of what Christ has done. The Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, that once and for all sacrifice, no more blood needs to be shed. And yet, worship and thanksgiving and sacrifice continues. Not sacrifice for sin. Not sacrifice for merit but sacrifice of praise, the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13. Lifted up through our voices. Sacrifices of thanksgiving presented through the giving of what God has entrusted to us. The giving that flows from the extravagant grace and generosity of our God. And I've said this before, this is why we in the church give as part of our worship service. This is why we take time to pass the plate. Not because it's some outdated thing and it's the only way that people can give. No, to intentionally meditate on loosening our grip on our money as we freely let go and give to the Lord and worship Him and give a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Now listen, I know that many of you, week in and week out, that plate goes by and you don't put anything in it. And that's not because you're giving, that's because you live in a technological age and you have things set up such where your giving goes straight into the church's account and that's fine, that's great, that's convenient, that's a regular commitment that I commend you for. As long as you're remembering, as long as you're taking the opportunity during the passing of the plate, during that time in our worship service, to remember that your giving is worship. That you're not scoring points with God, that you're not merely checking a box, that you're not just merely supporting an administrative task, but you're worshiping out of response of what God has done for you and what He has given to you. And so that's why I think this passage, brothers and sisters, it is an invitation to generous giving. It's an invitation for us to follow the Philippian example. And I know that by and large, I am preaching to the choir, as they say. This is a generous church. Quite a few of you give large amounts of your income to the work of the kingdom through Ascension Presbyterian Church and to other ministries. Many in our midst give meagerly but faithfully with what the Lord has given you. But there are some of you who don't give at all, who don't give anything. And as a result, our partnership in ministry, it's not there in the same way. And the opportunity for you to trust in the Lord, to worship the Lord through your giving as you let go, isn't there. Hear me when I say that I, like Paul, I I don't have something to gain here. It's not like I'm trying to Start a capital campaign or muster up some giving so I can get a new car or a raise or something like that. I'm saying this because God's word has led us here and because I believe that God wants you, every one of you, to have some skin in the game. You've heard that expression before. Parents, many of you parents know what I'm talking about in relationship to your kids. For instance, you might have all the money that your kids need to go to college. You might have saved hard to provide for them, but you still want them to work part-time. You still want them to, to save some in order to take ownership of that which is theirs. Because if they don't take ownership of it, they won't view it in the same way. See, the Philippians took ownership of the gospel ministry of Paul. And I want you to take ownership of the gospel ministry of ascension. Of course, there's all kinds of little rabbit trails that we could go on in a passage, in a sermon on giving. How much do we give? Well, in the Old Testament, the tithe, the first fruits, was 10% of the harvest. That's a good place to start. But I would say this, more than 10%, give until it hurts a little. Give until you feel it. Give until you're a bit uncomfortable. Give until your bank account isn't something that you're relying on for your security. Generous, sacrificial, faith-stretching giving. I think that's what the Philippians were about And I think that's what we're called to be about. Because you know what? Paul assures us of this in verse 19, that every need of ours will be supplied. Jesus said the same. The birds every day are fed by Him. The lilies of the field every day are clothed by Him. He loves you way more than the sparrows Or the lilies. The wisdom of Proverbs says this in Proverbs 19.17, "...whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed." The extravagant grace of God calls us to generous gospel giving. You know, this passage is ultimately about money, yes, but it's also about the giving of our very lives. Right? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And Paul told the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2, we are the aroma of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ, producing the fragrance of life in our world. You know, one of the priorities when we as a church, the Presbyterian term for it is particularized, when we became an independent, self-governing, self-sustaining church back in 2015, we wanted to pick missionaries and ministries that we could ideally do more with than simply support financially and through our prayers, as important and necessary as those things are. We wanted to have the opportunity, as God enabled, to, like Epaphroditus, give some of our lives to the work. Of course, it's not been feasible in every situation, with every missionary that we have supported, that we have prayed for. There have been opportunities, and we've seized upon those opportunities. It's been hard in the last couple years, as we all know well but as we continue to come out of whatever we've been in, I want to encourage us as a church not only to generous gospel giving, but to thinking of ways that we can give of ourselves and pour ourselves into the kingdom work of the church. You don't have to wait for me as senior pastor. You don't have to wait for the deacons. You you just need to do it. Or suggest something. This is is your church. You're part owners in a sense. You have skin in the game. A few weeks ago, we had Mike Rasmussen here from Hope Russia, and he talked about what was going on in Russia, and it's of course fascinating for us to hear about what's going on in Russia, particularly at this time in our lives, in Russia's life. There's a great need for the gospel. One of the things Mike didn't say, which, which I'm going to talk more about, I'm going to write it in the newsletter, in fact, that's hopefully coming out in a couple weeks, is we want to increase our partnership with Hope Russia. We need someone that will serve as a liaison between our church and the work of Hope Russia. Someone that will go to the meetings, probably via Zoom, and And hear what God is doing and interact with some of the pastors there and interact with some of the churches there and maybe even in a year to come, have the opportunity to go to St. Petersburg after things have quieted down and to meet some of these pastors and to encourage them. It's an opportunity to give of yourself, to step in to the work of the church, Maybe that's not you. I I acknowledge that's a big ask and it's not for everybody. Maybe the takeaway for you this morning is just simply to start giving, period. To start giving something. To take that step of faith by letting go and investing in that which is eternal. Maybe David's prayer in Psalm 39 is what needs to be your cry. He says this, O Lord, make me... Make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime as is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing there in turmoil man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you wherever you are this morning, I think we all need to be challenged that in light of the extravagant grace of our God, we need to give generously to the work of the Gospel. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for the example of the Philippian church. This church that prided itself on being a Roman colony and all the privilege that came with that. And yet when Paul came along, when their lives were turned upside down by the grace of our Lord Jesus, they would never be the same. Their priorities in, in the way they spent their money and the way they spent their time would never be the same. Father, we confess that too easily we can just fall into the ruts of our culture. We can forget about how radically different we are called to be. How radically different we're called to manage our money and to manage our time oh father may your word have its effect on us this morning and father may your people not go from this place feeling burdened feeling guilty feeling like you don't love them because they haven't given enough father you you love us to fullness and you have shown that through the gift of your son and we simply want to respond to that gospel so more than more than anything father may we leave this place meditating deepening our love for our savior and for what he has done the one who made himself nothing who was poor, that we might be rich. Not rich in material possession, but rich in peace, rich in joy, rich in the ability to serve and to love others as He serves and loves us. O Father, work in us that which is pleasing to You, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.